The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm your co-host, Emily Leach. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Hey, Emily, how's it going? Hey, Charlotte. It's going well. How are you? I'm good. I don't think we have co-hosted a show together. I know that you've done it before with other folks, but I am super excited to do it with you today. (laughs) Yeah, nice to be on with you. I'm excited for this show. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about young people and labor unions. Um, So at Generation Progress, we've talked a lot before about some of the unique problems that uh, millennials and Generation Z have faced as they've entered the workforce. Uh, from multiple recessions that have hit our generations especially hard to threats of discrimination that disproportionately impact our generations, uh, which are the most diverse generations in American history, to financial insecurity that results from a dramatically insufficient minimum wage um, to lack of workplace workplace protections. Um, But we want to dive into a little bit deeper today is the role that labor unions can and do play in all of this. Um, and why young people in particular are demonstrating an interest in organizing and joining unions. Uh, So to talk with us a little bit more about labor unions, organizing, and young people, uh, we're joined today by two expert guests. We've got David Madland, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and the strategic strategic director at the American Worker Project. Uh, So welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, thank you for joining us. And uh, we've also got Jeff Ulinger. Uh, an organizer with SEIU Local 509. Uh, So welcome, Jeff. Hey, glad to be here. Great. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for joining us today. Um, So David, uh, just to get us started, would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, the work that you do at the Center for American Progress um, and with the American Worker Project and, you know, how you you came to this work? Sure. Um, The American Worker Project is really the um, focuses on the economy from the workers' perspective. Um, so ensuring that workers have um, the things they need to have good jobs with good wages and benefits, as well as rights at work. And labor unions are, are a key piece of that. Um, I came to, to this work through a variety. Uh, you know, I worked on the Hill on the labor labor committee. Um, I got my PhD. I've worked for labor unions. I've worked for other advocacy groups, um, and so I, I guess I've I've really come to this kind of work by by thinking that for too long that uh, policy was not geared enough towards workers and helping them get ahead, and then having a lot of experiences uh, at various range places within the political system um, to help me think that 
the kind of work we do at the Center for American Progress, where we research and write and sort of develop the arguments and develop the policy that can um, be a big help towards uh, workers was the right place to be. Great. Thanks so much, David, and really appreciate the, the work that you do at the Center for American Progress um, and uh, and how you came to this to, to this background. It's great to hear the, the wealth of expertise that you have on this. Uh, Jeff, same question hopped over to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the SEIU local that you work with, SEIU Local 509, um, and what your role as an organizer with the union entails? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, SEIU Local 509 is a union that represents over 20,000 workers across Massachusetts. Um, and our members fall into three main categories of human service workers, uh, childcare workers, and educators at universities and colleges. Um, I mostly work with folks in, in the higher ed sector. Um, and my role as a staff organizer, or sometimes it's called a, um, an external organizer, is I work with workers that are not currently part of the union and I help them become members of SEIU 509 and form unions at their workplaces um, so that they can fight for better working conditions um, where they work. And I got into the labor movement actually through college. Uh, my first semester of college, our faculty uh, were going on strike. They had won their union election about two years before and the university administration was refusing to bargain in, in good faith. So it put, uh, forced them to a situation where um, they were going onto the strike lines, and I was part of a, a student organization that was trying to raise awareness to other undergrads and, and encourage them to come out and join the faculty themselves on, on the strike lines. So awesome, great! Thanks so much, Jeff, um, and thanks for uh, thanks for the work that you do as well. And I think part of the reason Emily and I wanted to do this show today um, on uh, labor unions and um, organizing and how young people um, are really leading um, and have led a lot of labor labor movements historically uh, is because we saw so much about this in the news over the course of the fall. Um, I think you know more about strikes and more about um, uh, labor organizing um, than I recall um, you know any time in the in the past 10 years um, in the news and so I, I'm excited to dig into this a little bit more uh, with you guys um, but before we before we hop into more about what was going on over the course of this year and this past fall um, and how we have gotten to this point where we're able to talk about um, workers rights um, with the uh, folks able to access those rights um, at a much higher level than they have in the past David um, at a high level can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what labor unions are and why they form um, for, for folks who might be sort of uh, looking for a primer here. Sure. I think at the most basic level, you know, unions are uh, an organization that workers form to help rebalance power in their workplace, that they want to do that to try to improve their working conditions. And they feel like the way, the best way to do that is to come together so that they, when they talk with their employer, they can do so on more equal footing. Um, because sort of the way our economy works is that uh, employers tend to have a lot more power than individual workers. But when workers are able to come together, they have a little a little bit more power, and that tends to make negotiations on more equal footing and lead to the workers' ability to improve their working conditions. Awesome. Thanks, David. I really appreciate that primer. Um, 
And Jeff, you know, kind of turning to you, uh, what are some of the reasons that these, you know, I mean, David laid out a little bit more about, you know, why unions are a benefit, beneficial to, to all workers, but why might they be especially beneficial to younger workers? Um, absolutely. Um, very important for, for young workers. You know, unionized workers uh, make 15 to 20 percent more than their non-union counterparts. Um, full-time women workers are making 30 percent more than their non-union peers. Black workers are 13% more likely to have employer-provided health insurance than their non-union peers. So overall, you know, you can make a case that, of course, unions are better um, as a whole for, for workers, and, and that is true. Um, they're also incredibly important for uh, closing the gender and racial pay gaps, which is, again, something important to all workers, but especially for young workers. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, especially through the lens of, of racial justice and, and gender justice, um, unions historically and, and, and today play um, a very important role in that area. Great, David, it looks like you're about to hop in on something there. Um, sure, I'm happy, happy to, to hop in. I, you know, I think the other kinds of uh, in addition to sort of, you know, I think Jeff got it exactly right, but just to highlight some of the other reasons, things that unions do, like you're more likely to have health uh, health and retirement benefits, but also a safer workplace. And I think the, you know, when you think about young people, they are the general, you know, young people are the least likely to have health insurance, least likely to have retirement benefits. And then you, we also just went through this COVID, you know, recession and that I'm sure we'll go into in more detail, but I think the stark, uh, the safety of a lot of workplaces was a big concern for young workers who were often on the front lines of, of you know, it, in, in the service sector economy where they were dealing with customers and, and being potentially exposed. So I, I think there, there's um, a lot of traditional reasons that young people might be wanting to join, but a particular reasons also that they uh, are sort of more vulnerable and have more at stake and more to gain by joining unions. Thanks so much, David. And we are going to pick up on that thread uh, right after this commercial break. You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Everyone, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, we are on today with our two guests, uh, David Madland and Jeff Ulinger, talking about uh, young people and labor unions. Um, and just before the break, we started talking a little bit about the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic had um, on young people and young workers. Um, so we want us to turn back to that. Um, and David, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about um, you know, the recession that was caused by the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, right, kind of as it was starting in spring of 2020, uh, we saw a lot of discussion about how the economic recession, um, combined with the, the 2008 recession um, that impacted millennials back, in, um, back at that time, uh, had left young people particularly financially vulnerable. Um, so I wanted to hear a little bit from you about how you think that those um, recessions and, and that financial instability um, might impact uh, the desire that we're seeing from young people uh, for unionization um, and, you know, labor protections. Yeah, I think they're really pretty closely related, um, especially for 
millennials who kind of in their working as they're entering the the workforce, they are hit first with the Great Recession in 2007 and 2008, which at the time was the biggest uh, you know collapse of the economy that we'd seen since the 1930s and the Re- Great Depression. Um, and so it was seen as this, you know, kind of once in a hundred year event. And then, you know, a decade later, they also go, go through um, the COVID pandemic and, and recession, another, you know, in theory, once in a hundred year event. Um, and I think what was particular about both, both of these events is you saw how vulnerable workers could be late, being laid off um, and sort of their you know financial position just being uprooted at the same time uh, uh, covid particularly the what was different about this recession is that a lot of companies especially the biggest ones recovered very very quickly in fact we're making rec- record profits even as unemployment was at uh, very high levels so i think this dichotomy between how most workers were were doing like you know, losing you know very vulnerable potential, losing their jobs. Also, or they if they're going to work, they're feeling incredibly unsafe. They don't have proper equipment. Uh, meanwhile, the company is and the CEOs are doing in, incredibly well. And so, I think those uh, factors. Finally, when you have right now, the economy is actually doing reasonably well. Not you know, there's many issues with it, but the labor market is pretty tight, The meaning unemployment is low. And so workers have a little bit of ability to express their frustrations because they can find another job more easily than they would at other times or than they could just, you know, during the height of the recession. And so we're seeing a lot of strikes and labor activity because workers, you know, been frustrated and vulnerable for so long and they have a little bit of an opportunity to do something about it and a little bit more power than they ha- more recently had. Um, so that's, that's a, you know, big close connections. Uh, and there's a lot more. I'm sure Jeff, Jeff can add it. He's, you know, organizing the workers on, on the daily basis and seeing these sort of factors play out. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I would add to, to what David's saying there is um, just the point that we know that the pain of recessions is, is never shared equally. Um, there was a report that came out a few months ago, I believe it was from the Americans uh, for Tax Fairness, um, that U.S. billionaires increased their wealth by 62% since the start of the pandemic. Um, so that is not lost on, on workers, um, and, and particularly large uh, young workers, um, that there are people that are getting very wealthy right now at a time of, uh, of you know, when the rest of the society is, is uh, struggling. Yeah, I think that's I think it's really um, a great point, Jeff um, and David. Some of what you're saying made me think about uh, you know I, millennials have this um, you know have this reputation in the workplace for being sort of like grabby and demanding and entitled, um, and there's a little bit of a you know like a, a sort of upstart um, reputation um, that I think millennials have, and it's so interesting I think to talk through. Uh, the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, where millennials, uh, if they were able to go to college, entered into, uh, you know, graduated from college into um, one of the worst, uh, the worst economies since the Great Depression, um, and then watched banks 
get bailed out um, while they sat with their student loans and said, okay, so uh, the banks got bailed out, um, but I'm in financially dire straits um, and I had a promise broken to me and I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, I did exactly what this country told me to do and I am in severe debt, uh, but but the banks have got everything all figured out. So I think that is like the first taste for millennials, um, for many millennials and um, as entering um, the workplace and then to have um, uh, our generation get that double flack, that double whammy of um, some of the COVID stuff here um, as well. Um, it's sort of stringing those two things together. Um, it's, sometimes it's like millennials are maybe asking for actually what they've seen, um, as you said, Jeff, some of the billionaires, uh, <laughs> the billionaires get their handouts and the millennials are going, well, what about us? You know, how do we build power? How do we get to that? Um, so Jeff, I'm going to hop back over to you uh, again here. And as a union org organizer, have you uh, like noticed, like, it, does it feel tangible? I'm not sure, Jeff, how old you are. I'm, I'm 34, so I'm a millennial. And so as we're talking about graduating into 2009, uh, that was that was me. Um, but uh, as a union organizer, have you noticed that younger Americans, roughly those between the ages of like 18 to 35, have reacted differently to unions or feel differently about joining them? Are you seeing a difference between like millennials and Gen Z who are uh, sort of only just starting to come to the workplace? So just, you know, to remind our listeners here, uh, millennials are like anywhere from like 24 to like 38. Millennials have children. Uh, they, they, they're, they're paying their student loans. They're maybe getting ready to pay their kids student loans. Um, so millennials are sort of uh, not, not the babies anymore, quote unquote, as we're talking about the workforce. Um, it's Gen Z as well. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious, Jeff, uh, any difference between millennials and Gen Z? Any difference between millennials, Gen Z, and older generations? Uh, hey, yeah. So I would say um, most of the workers that I work with are kind of from the age of 25 and above. So maybe that's young millennial or, or older Gen Z or, uh, and, and, and kind of above that. But um, I, I guess with young workers in general, I've kind of seen two trends. Um, the first is, unfortunately, you know, some people kind of having little understanding of what a union is or what an organized workplace looks like. And I explain that myself by looking at the shrinking union density, especially since the early 1970s, when union density um, was around 30%. Now it's hovers around 10 and it's in the single digits if you're in the private sector. Um, you know, young people are less likely to have their own personal union, ex uh, union experience or maybe union experience from a family. Um, so there is some education that needs to be done there. At the same time, the other trend that we're, we're seeing is, is just like what we're talking about, a lot of eagerness um, for people to that, that people want to organize when, when they do see that as an option. Um, and a, a, in a lot of ways, too, workers coming into the workplace with organizing skills. So my role as a staff organizer is essentially to train workers into um, how to organize. And, and they're coming onto the job. A lot of them already know how to do that themselves, which is really exciting. We'll be right back uh, after this commercial break with the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Ship. Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm your co-host Emily Leach. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Welcome back everybody. Back. Um, and welcome back to our two guests. Uh, we've got David Madland and Jeff Eulinger joining us. 
Um, and I just wanted to turn, I know that Jeff had mentioned a little bit about um, ways in which uh, the workforce is changing and the fact that there is um, a much lower level of union or much lower percentage of people that are currently um, involved in the union uh, in their workplace. Um, and I wanted to ask David um, a little bit about uh, how the like, gig economy and um, the changing labor force in general um, might impact that. Um, so David, can you, can you talk at all about um, how that kind of, you know, those changes that we're seeing in the ways that people are employed um, and, you know, contract workers, gig economy, et cetera, um, might be impacting these conversations around unions? Yeah, I'll, uh, yes, I'd be happy to talk a little bit about that. I want to just give step back a little bit and explain sort of why union density is so low, because actually sort of the, the polling suggests that support for unions right now is about as high as it's ever been, especially among young people, kind of off, off the charts with you know about 70% support. And then more than half of the workforce say they would like to join a union. And yet the, you know, the figures are shockingly low, down at 6% in the private sector. And it's because our laws make it very, very difficult to join. They give employers significant power to threaten and intimidate workers who want. They also allow employers to kind of play games with how they structure themselves, which then relates to this gig economy question. And so one of the reasons that it's very hard to unionize in the gig economy is a lot of those workers have been called by their employers. They've been called independent contractors. Uh, and independent contractors don't have any any legal rights to join a union. Oftentimes, they're actually employees. They, the company controls what they do, but they've been able to get away with this sort of legal fiction. And then even if when they are sort of technically employees and do have some weak legal rights to join a union, the it's very tough in an industry where the turnover is incredibly high. We're talking like, you know, hundred more than 100% a year. So a whole new workforce coming in. And there's very little ability for the workers to actually meet in person and or for the workers to sort of get connected to each other because there's not a workplace, centralized workplace. And so this kind of gigification or fissuring of the workplace, as some call it, makes it, you know, structurally very difficult for workers to have the sort of traditional ways of coming together and forming a union. And, and it's this really tough road because these gig workers kind of needs a number of laws changed to make it possible for them to have the rights and protections and power that other employees have or at least have the ability to have. And so uh, we can go into a lot more on on this, but I think it's, it's sort of emblematic of the way the both the economy and our law has been structured to make it very hard on workers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that you know, I'm sure, like you said, we could you know do a whole episode talking about um, just that. But um, appreciate you uh, talking a little bit about um, some of those changes and what they mean. Um, and kind of on that same uh, note, Jeff, I was wondering if you um, had any insight into the ways that unions are attempting to reach some of these workers in different parts of the labor market or attempting to um, organize employees that might, you know, not be seeing each other a lot in person or might not have some of those traditional um, means to unionize that, you know, we would have seen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to kind of just like, 
go back to David's point, um, the lack of having a centralized workplace is a real organizing challenge for, for gig workers. Um, you know, the way that for traditionally workers would organize is, is they would go and, and talk to their coworkers, whether that be in, in a school or a manufacturing plant or a hospital. And you can imagine, you know, it's, it's much easier to form relationships with your coworkers when you're all in the same building. Um, and uh, that's just a lot more difficult with, with Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, Grubhub, all of these app-based uh, jobs um, where, where people don't have a relationship with, with folks. So um, unions are, um, have been getting very innovative in helping gig workers connect with one another. Um, sometimes that is through digital organizing um, and finding different ways through social me media to, to kind of identify folks that have gig jobs and, and then connect them with, with other folks. Um, and uh, to some extent, you know, some unions have even kind of created their own apps uh, to help the app-based workers organize. Um, and uh, so I, I, for myself, I don't particularly work with any groups of gig workers, um, but it is something that I've been following as a staff organizer um, because it's going to be critical for uh, rebuilding the labor movement. Um, gig workers are going to be a big piece of that. I, I was so, uh, I did not know, that makes perfect sense, but I was like, I didn't know that there were uh, apps for uh, organizing unions specifically. That is, um, that's really cool. Uh, just, I think people have this image in their heads of, um, of unions as being sort of like, folks who work in like steel factories or manufacturing plants and that sort of thing. And it's, uh, it's more, it's more than that, right? Like it's, uh, there are, there's all across all industries. Um, uh, I think uh, that we're seeing, um, people starting to, to unionize in different spaces here. Um, David, are there any other, uh, social or political factors, um, that you're seeing contributing to sort of the uptick in, um, the interest in unions right now or um, or the ability for folks to organize? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've touched on some of the core challenges, the Great Recession and then, then the COVID economy. But I think if we look even a little bit of a longer over the past four decades, the economy has not been particularly good for workers, whether young or old. The sort of typical wages for the typical worker have been roughly stagnant while the, those at the top have done very very well. So we have this long-term trend of the economy not being uh, particularly good for workers. We also have the uh, fundamental challenges with our democracy right now, whether it's politicians not listening to what ordinary people want and do, too often doing the bidding of the very wealthy and corporations and or the basic sort of populist fracturing of uh, democracy where with election of Donald Trump and then the, you know, dry denying people votes or not counting their votes or claiming it's rigged, you know, and so we have a very vulnerable democracy at, the, at this moment. And unions help on both of these fronts. Most people focus and just on the workplace issues that we've emphasized here. And, and that's central to why there's this renewed interest in, in unions because of these major challenges with the recession, et cetera, and long-term challenges. But also the other things unions do, and they help people participate in democracy. They encourage, they provide information and, and make it more likely that people are gonna turn out to vote. For example, they educate them on camp 
candidates. And then they also do some of the behind the scenes work so that workers have a lobbyist just like rich people and corporations. And I think people have been very in, tuned into that ability as well right now because they say, hey, I we need a voice for the rest of us so that we can not only fix our own situation, but make the country work the way it's supposed to work. And uh, I think that's really the an understated and kind of hidden reason behind a lot of the interest right now in unions is this dual purpose they serve and in, in making ordinary people have some power in both the economy and uh, and the, as well as the workplace and in our democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that's, yeah, that's a great point um, that this is just something that uh, young people are a lot more in tune with and I think that that's something that we've seen a lot in our work is that young people are just they're frustrated by the system and by the fact that they are seeing such such massive inequality. Um, and that actually kind of brings me, we only have about a minute now before the break. So um, I think we'll, we'll come back to this for sure in our next segment. Um, but David, I did want to hear a little bit more about um, the report that you and some colleagues published in September um, on how unions would specifically close the racial wealth gap. I'm just kind of speaking of some of those inequalities that people are seeing. Um, and then I know that Jeff had mentioned um, back at the start of the conversation, uh, kind of similar things about how unions uh, help to close the racial and gender wage gaps. Um, so definitely interested in coming back and exploring a little bit more of that in our, our last segment. Um, time goes so quickly on the show. Um, but yeah, thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, we will be back right after this commercial break with the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show and our guests, David Madlin and Jeff Winter. See you later. Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host Charlotte Hancock, and I'm your other co-host Emily Leach. Hey, Emily, welcome back, and welcome back to our guests. I want to say uh, thanks again to our guest David Madlin um, from the Center for American Progress, and Jeff Eulinger, um, an organizer with SEIU Local 509, for being with us on the show today. Um, David, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you uh, here. We're talking today about. Um, young people, unions, labor organizing, um, you know, the, there was so much um, in the news about uh, strikes and workers' power over the course of the fall. Um, and we were, we were excited to talk to our guests today about uh, how young people, how millennials and Gen Z um, fit into that. So um, David, I know in September, you and a couple of your colleagues published a report on how unions would help close the racial wealth gap. Huge, uh, really, really exciting and interesting report. Can you share with us a few of your findings from that report? Yeah, thanks. And I, I think it, the, the, so I'll quickly cut to the findings and then I'll hopefully tell a little bit more um, about it. So we found that the typical union household has more than twice the wealth of the median non-union household. And then the, 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 um, but unions raised wealth for more for black households. So the typical black household had three times, typical black union household had three times the wealth of a non-union household. And the typical Hispanic household, union household had five times the wealth of a non-union household. So unions sort of doing something for all workers, but 
helping those who tend to have the least amount of wealth and least resources the most. And I think this is these findings are so important. One, this the scale is really huge. We're talking, you know, tripling and or quintupling the, the the typical wealth that how some households have. But also, what wealth is is really the stored value, all the assets you have, how the savings account, any house or thing minus your um, minus your debts, and this is the kind of free, this is the freedom to do things when, when you need to, or get you out of trouble if you get unemployed for a little while, or help pay for your children's education. It's really the, the and it magnifies all the things that unions do to raise wages and benefits and close pay gaps. But the, you know, the wealth is kind of the, the key deal at the end of the ballgame that really says, okay, did all this stuff work? And I think these results show how much unions do for all workers and especially for black and Hispanic households. Great. Thank you so much, David. Um, and I think that is, you know, super interesting uh, the, the, the collective um, uh, folks standing together uh, can make such a big difference for folks who otherwise might not have a lot of power in the workplace, might otherwise be marginalized or seen as sort of like troublemakers if they're speaking up um, because of uh, the way our society uh, might see black or brown uh, or queer people or young people or women compared to uh, to white men in the workplace. So really, um, really interesting uh, results. And Jeff, I know you also mentioned um, in your introduction of speaking with us uh, that that you uh, really like working on this issue um, because of um, some of that information around the um, the racial wealth gap um, and some of the the gender and racial wage gaps. Um, can you agree? Can you tell me again? You had some some data that you mentioned about um, how unions were good for that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, unionized workers make fifteen to twenty percent more than their non-union counterparts. So that's sort of just as you know the workforce as a whole. Um, full-time women workers are making 30% more than their non-union peers. So they kind of go above um, th that number um, for, for just the general labor force. And then uh, around health insurance, black union workers are 13% more likely to have employer-provided health insurance than their non-union peers. Thanks. Yeah, I just thought it was really important to reemphasize that, um, given the context of what David said about his report, to to sort of talk through some of those data points um, and about you know what a difference uh, unionizing can make in the workplace. Um, Jeff, I'm going to come back to you here again, um, thinking through some of the the bigger picture here. Um, and I know David, you mentioned there have been some some rollbacks and first this you know some reasons um, that you like the number of unionized people in this country um, has dropped over the course of the past, uh, you know, uh, several years. Um, Jeff, what are some of the steps that the government can take at the state or, you know, at the federal level um, to protect workers and to, to support unions? Yeah, absolutely. So the government um, plays a really large role in um, determining or, uh, you, you know, uh, giving the ability for workers to organize or on the flip side, limiting that ability for, for um, workers to be able to form unions. Um, so SEIU has led the creation of a unions for all agenda. Um, and that's one thing that elected officials could look at more seriously. Um, it's a wide ranging plan, um, but one piece of that agenda is to establish that the National Labor Relations Act, establish that as the floor rather than the ceiling for laws governing worker organizing. 
and then allowing states and cities to go beyond federal law um, to give even greater ability for unions, uh, I'm sorry, for, for workers uh, to join together in a union um, than, than the federal law allows. So that's one piece. Great. And so I guess speaking of, of federal law here, um, David, I, I have to ask because um, this is uh, what's going on in Congress right now? Do you see the Build Back Better Act's economic provisions having an impact on the labor market for, for young people? Yeah, they're a big deal. Um, they're a big deal in several ways. First, they're these massive investments that are going to create a lot of jobs. And there are provisions to ensure that those are actually good quality jobs and um, that pay decent wages. But even more than that, they address some of the key shortfallings in the way our economy works. For example, the young people having children uh, and childcare is incredibly expensive. And this helps provide more public assisted childcare so that people can go to work and not be broke paying for the care of their children. Similarly for their, when their parents get old and they have to care for them. And, and so these, these kind of massive investments that will create good jobs. And then even as they create good jobs for even the people who aren't directly affected by them will benefit because a tighter labor market benefits all workers. It gives them more power to, for example, encourage their worker, their employer to pay, have them pay more or else they can go find another job that pays more. So yeah, this is a, a big, big step um, forward. The other part uh, that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is there's a, a bill that called the Protect Workers Protect the Right to Organize Act, which would uh, strengthen the ability of workers to directly join unions, and that also um, would be very helpful if it passed as well. Awesome. What was that? The Protect the Right for Workers to Protect, Organize Act. Yeah, or short, short the Pro Act. Pro Act. Okay, that that I can remember. Um, great. Well, thanks so much, David. Um, I know we, we don't have too much longer left in our show here, and I want to make sure that if folks are looking for um, you and your work um, and uh, all the great things that you all say and write, uh, that they know where to find you. So um, for people who are interested in learning more about this topic, um, where would you recommend they go to get started, David? There's a lot. Um, I could do a little self-promotion. I'd recommend my new <laughs> book, uh, Reunion. You can also go to my website, davidmadlin.com, go to americanprogress.org, and then there's a bunch of other books um, in this you know, space that I'd be happy to, if anyone wants to email me, you can get, get that on the website, and I'd be happy to, to uh, recommend a whole bunch more things to, to look at. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. And uh, Jeff, uh, if folks want to learn more about this issue, but then also if folks want to learn more about you and the work that um, you're doing specifically at SEIU, um, what do you recommend for a general resources? And then what do you recommend if um, folks want to follow up with you? Absolutely. Um, if you are in the majority of the American workforce uh, where you want to have a union, but you're not part of one, uh, would encourage you to organize your workplace. Um, so David, you know, just shared some great resources there. Um, and, uh, you know, overall, if, if, if there's a couple of uh, unions in your geographic area, reach out to them. Um, maybe have a conversation with one or two coworkers beforehand to see if other people are interested. Uh, but then, yeah, reach out to unions in, in your area. See if they can support um, your, your organizing efforts. Um, and in terms of, you know, finding more information, um, would, would also kind of just encourage uh, folks to, yeah, look into different unions that are near you. 
um, and, and find their social media accounts. You know, see if you can um, follow them on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, that is just about all the time that we have for today. Uh, we really appreciate both of you joining us today, uh, Jeff and David. Um, I want to just say, you know, thanks to our guests, uh, David Madland um, and Jeff Yellinger, and also to our producer, Mark Grimaldi. Um, as always, thanks so much. And to all of our listeners, um, if you want to find out more about us, make sure to check us out on Twitter and on Instagram using the handle at GenProgress. Uh, we will talk to you again on the next Remote Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Emily, thank you so much for pulling together today's show, as well as co-hosting with me. You were amazing. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks, all. <laughs> <laughs>